Good morning. I am Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net on the beautiful campus of Seton Hall University. Today, we're so happy to have in our studio today Mr. Doug Moran, who is the author of his book, If You Will Lead, Enduring Wisdom for the 21st Century Leaders. Uh, this book was released June 1st of this year. He is the founder of If You Will Lead, LLC, and his firm focuses on leadership development, executive coaching, and infrastructure strategy. His book and much of his leadership guidance comes from the poem If by Rudyard Kipling. Doug, welcome to the program. Thanks. Really nice to be here. You know, I, I'm so happy that we're able to get together to talk about this very, very exciting book for my leadership program here. If you could, could you share with our audience some of the highlights of your education and experience? Well, I, uh, I have my bachelor's degree from James Madison University uh, in Harrisonburg, Virginia. I graduated in 1987, and um, after I graduated, I, I started with Bell Atlantic, which is now Verizon. Spent about eight years there in a variety of roles, and uh, it was during during that time it, when I was at Verizon that that I discovered uh, a lot of, of the the works of Roger Kipling, and um, that was when I, or I should say, rediscovered it. Um, but I spent eight years there, and after that, I, I left the private sector and spent four years in, in government working in the administration of Governor George Allen for the Commonwealth of Virginia, um, where I spent uh, half the time doing technology work, and the other half of the time I was running the Department of Social Services, which was a, a real odd move for me, but it was one of those great decisions that I, that, uh, I made or great opportunities that presented itself in, in one's career. Um, after Governor Allen left office, I, I went back to the private sector and spent 10 years with Capital One. And um, the last role I had there, I was divisional CIO for Capital One's, uh, Capital One's Financial Services Division. So as you can, you, know, you can tell, much of my career was in the field of technology. That's, that's where I uh, cut my teeth professionally. It's where I really uh, found uh, a great deal of fulfillment. Um, but what really got me going was the field of, of leadership. And so two years ago, two and a half years ago, I left Capital One and started my own firm. And, and that's also when I really got into the, the process of writing the book. And <clears throat> when did you discover your passion for leadership? What, I mean, what led you to say, you know, I've done uh, government work, I've, I've done the, the corporate environment work, now I'm going to do my own business, but I really want to focus on leadership. Well, it's interesting. Uh, I had a friend of mine, a colleague, who used to uh, had a great practice. Every Sunday night before the week began, he would look at his calendar, and you know the process really was something I adopted because it was a great way to say, "Am I doing the things? Or am I investing the thing in the things um, that really matter most uh, and are strategically important to me um, and to the company?" And so, this was something I started probably about five or six years ago. And as I said, every Sunday night I'd, I'd look at my calendar for the week ahead and, and, and figure out what I was going to be doing. And I found myself getting really excited about the days when I had a lot of work on my plate that, that surrounded leadership development. And you know, as a corporate executive, as a fairly senior person in, in the organization, I was uh, asked to mentor a lot of people. 
I also spend a lot of time doing uh, skip-level meetings, meeting with large groups of folks. And those meetings, you know, often were primarily focused in the area of leadership development. What is it? What would it take for this person to, to move ahead and, and get, get to where they wanted to be and, and achieve their goals? And so, you know, it's funny. It was just a, a, a realization I came to that that was what really was getting me going and what, what was making mo- me most happy in my, my life. And, uh, you know, I was working with a coach at the time that I made this, uh, came to this realization, and, uh, you know, she helped me figure that out, and it was a, it was a great experience, a great realization that this is what uh, I was, I believe I was called to do. You know, leadership, everyone talks about leadership and the importance of leadership, but I find that oftentimes within organizations, they do not really invest the uh uh, the dollars necessary to to help individuals to really grow has that been your experience? Yeah, I think it's it's not just organizations. It's you know it's easy to point our fingers at the organizations and say they're they're not investing enough in, in their people and in their leadership uh, development. But it, you know it's it's a, as much about us as individuals. Uh, it's it's hard. It's hard to to invest in ourselves in, in the area of leadership because um, it's it's sometimes feels a little bit uh, hard to, to nail down and say, I'm going to do this for the sake of that. Um, you know, when you, when you work on your technical skills or the, the things that are, are the competencies that help you uh, do a job, you know, technically well and be proficient, uh, you can see the immediate benefits. Leadership, the benefits pay, uh, pay back over a long period of time. And, and so we as individuals don't invest enough in ourselves, and therefore the companies we work for, the corporations we work for, don't do it either. And um, those that do are, are typically the companies that are, are outpacing their, their competition. And uh, I had the privilege of working for Capital One, for example, and they, they were extraordinarily uh, committed to investing in leadership development. And uh, that's you know, those are the kind of companies I like to work with are companies that do have the commitment to leadership development. So it was that excitement that you received when you were working for Capital One as an employee, working on uh, different leadership programs that prompted you to step out with your own company. Exactly, yeah. It's funny. I left a company that was doing it well, so hopefully I could do it and take that and, and spread it around. And... You, the name of your company is very interesting. Can you can you share with us how you came about to, to name your your your, your company? Well, if the, you, uh, if the you name LLC. came. <laughs> yeah, the, com- the name came from the uh, title of the book. I had a working title going when I had first started the book back in two thousand eight, uh, and, and the publisher that I ended up signing with Agate liked it a lot and kept the kept the title, which I was happy about, but. Uh, when I started thinking about, okay, what, what am I going to name my company, uh, it just felt like that the book that I was writing was really capturing my leadership philosophy and who I, you know, how I wanted to approach leadership, how I wanted to teach leadership, how I wanted to, to help people become better leaders were really captured by the book itself. And so um, the, the title really made sense to to, to move over to become the, the name of the company. And, you know, the title is important. The first word is important on many levels. It's important because of the poem, If, that the book is based on. Yes, um, yes. It's also important because there's a lot of uncertainty 
around leadership. Um, you know, one of the things you'll hear me say time and again is that everybody is a leader. And I believe that absolutely. Not, not that everybody can be a leader, but everybody is a leader. At some point in their life or another, in the right cir- circumstances, everyone can step up and be a leader or, or will be expected to step up and be a leader. How well we do that, you know, the, the, the quality of leadership that we provide is what's in question. And that's where the if comes in. If we're going to lead, are we going to lead well? And so um, it's really a, a question I put to my clients, to anybody reading the book, is if you will lead, you know, are you going to lead well? And and so that's that's where the title came from, and that's where the name of the company came from. Oh, that is excellent. That is truly, truly excellent. Because I wondered about, you know, your title and, and how you came about that title. And for these benefit of our audience would you mind uh if i read or if you read the poem if so they so that they can get a sense of what we're talking about oh sure i'll be happy to read it i love it it's okay. one of my favorites um so uh we could do it the way uh rafael uh roger federer and rafael nadal did it uh you know they for the commercial for wimbledon a few years ago in 2008 they they actually did one line after the other but that would be a little that would be a little hard unless we practice, I guess. That's so. right. That's right. We'll, 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 we'll let you do it. <laughs> all right. So uh, here you go. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you but make allowance for their doubting too, if you can wait and not be tired by waiting or being lied about don't deal in lies or being hated don't give way to hating and yet don't look too good nor talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same, if you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up with worn-out tools, if you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss, and lose, and start again at your beginnings, and never breathe a word of your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone, and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings, nor lose the common touch. If neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you, but none too much. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that is in it, and which is more, you'll be a man, my son. Wow. I tell you, I get choked up. I do too, yeah. I, uh, I'm thinking back to my, my sister uh, Libby who gave me that poem and how that poem helped me to lift myself out of the depression that I was in as a sophomore in high school and went on to achieve great things. So uh, thank you for that. that that's, that's very nice. And uh, one thing I, I, I didn't realize, I've always had this poem, but I didn't realize that he wrote it in 1895. Right. And it's just, it's just timeless. Right. He, he sat on it for 15 years, which I thought was interesting. And, I, and I've never found anything that says why uh, Kipling didn't publish it until uh, 1910. But it was, 
it, it was originally written as a response to a, uh, a battle in the, that led to the Boer War. Um, but it was a, uh, you know, was it was something he he I think loved, and it was one of his favorite poems. But he uh, he didn't publish it for quite a while. Fascinating. That is fascinating. Yeah. I, you know, I wonder how many drafts uh, he had of this of this poem. I I, I just wonder, what, you know, what motivated him to to write this poem. Well, the the thing that motivated it, uh, it's interesting. It's a great. There's some great myths and there's some great legends around it. The, the thing that that the, imp- the impetus for it was something called Jameson's Raid. It was a uh, a raid of English settlers against uh, a group of Boer settlers in South Africa. Um, but the thing that uh, that inspired it, but the thing that I've read that actually. Um, made that was driving Kipling to write it and the, the person he was describing uh, some say it was George Washington and and part of the myth and, and the legend around uh, around that is that where it appears in in the book it was published in he, he published it in this in a, in a book called Re- uh, rewards and fairies it was a collection of short three two one so, um, you know Brad Stevens, he's the head basketball coach for Butler uh, University, and before the uh, NCAA basketball champions, championship last year, uh, he read the poem If to his team to inspire them. Right. And uh, you know, he, he, um, it, was, it was pretty exciting for me as, you know, as I was in the middle of writing the book, and, and so I reached out to him and asked him if he'd give me a quote, and, and it was, he gave me a great quote about the poem in particular and how important it was in his life and and like some like you with your sister getting a copy of the poem from her and me getting it from my mother his mother had given it to him and and it was because it was such an important part of his life um and and that's you know the 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 timelessness of the book and i mean of the poem uh is what inspired me to write this book and and that's where the the subtitle of enduring wisdom that this has been around for 116 years and yet the words are still as powerful today as they were when Kipling wrote them. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. And um, ha- has he endorsed your book? <laughs> uh, Brad Stevens? <laughs> yes. He, he actually it was great. Uh, it was one of those honest moments that I really respect in a leader. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I had called him in uh, December of last year to ask him for the quote, and uh he uh, he responded very frankly. He said, "Look, I, I don't have time to read anything, and I won't I won't endorse something I haven't fully read." Okay. And so he's committed that this summer he's going to read it, and I okay. uh, can't wait to get a get a quote from him about the book itself. But he's he loves the idea of it, and I, I wish it, you know I wish him the best, and he's wished me the best as well. So excellent, excellent, excellent. <clears throat> and um, who are some of your heroes and uh, people who have demonstrated? The type of if leadership that you that, that you uh, can can say yes, this person is is really living the values. Well, you know, it's funny. The the book is full of them. Um, I have uh, I really had to choose, pick and choose among some of my favorite historical figures uh, and everyday figures. So uh, when you read the book, you'll see that that every chapter has a story of a historical figure that starts the chapter who demonstrates a specific leadership attribute. And it ends, every chapter ends with what I call everyday examples. And now they include, the everyday examples include my wife and my children and um, good 
friends, my, my son's godfather, people who have really made an impact in my life. Um, you know, I, I like to hold people like that up as heroes as much as I hold up um, these historically great figures. But I'm not going to, you know, I won't you know, get off the hook that easily. I, you know, I'll tell you some of the specifics. Um, you know, my mom and dad are, are clearly some of my, my uh, the, the heroes that are, are most uh, present in my life. I lost my father last year, but uh, oh, he's still a hero to, to me. Um, mm-hmm. There's one person in the book that is um, both a bigger-than-life hero and an everyday hero because he's somebody I know. He's the only person I wrote about um, in a historical sense that I, that I know personally, and, and that's a, a gentleman named uh, Captain James Mulligan. And uh, I remember when he came home from Vietnam in uh, 1972 after six and a half years as a POW. Uh, I was a boy. I was, I was only seven years old when he when he came home, but I still remember it very vividly. Um, and as I was growing up, he lived a block from us, so uh, I, I got to know him pretty well. He attended went to the same church, and he's, he often taught at our, our religious education classes. And, you know, so I, I feel like it was an honor getting to know this Man who who demonstrated such extraordinary leadership and you know and serving his country, yeah. But he, you know, so he's one of those people who kind of crosses the boundaries of a bigger than life hero and somebody I know personally. Um, I also am a huge fan of, of President uh, Ronald Reagan uh, as as a person who knew who he was and, and why he believed what he did. I think uh, so many politicians this day uh, in these days on both sides of the aisle have lost their way. They don't know who they are because they haven't taken the time to invest in themselves to, to, to know what really motivates them. And I, I really think the uh, country uh, loved Reagan so much because uh, he did, regardless of whether you agreed with him or not, um, people respected him because of his convictions and the fact that he knew what he stood for. Um there's also another character or another person in the book that I, I, I wrote about that is a little less known than some of the others, a guy named Michael Collins. He is an Irish revolutionary, and uh, like uh, Dr. King died and was you know was assassinated well before his time. It was they were, they were about the same age when they were killed, um, but uh, was one of these people who uh, did so much in his life, and, and so those two in the book really are they're right. Um, they were very close to each other as far as that when I wrote the chapters, and it struck me the parallels uh, between Dr. King and, and Michael Collins. Both were revolutionaries in their own way and, and, and really stood for things that weren't very popular and were willing to take stands that, uh, they ulti- that ultimately cost them their lives. And uh, you know, I think that's the kind of thing that um, leaders Leadership is about making sacrifice. Now, I'm not telling people have to go out and get killed to, to be a leader, but you know, the, the great leaders understand that it's not easy and it's not about a popularity contest. It's about uh, standing for things regardless of the outcome. You know, it, it, being a leader sometimes is a very lonely place, and it is a position of, of service. Uh, you're there to serve the people that you are leading and uh, taking decisions that are fair uh, decisions sometimes means that your best friend doesn't get their way right or, or someone who is a a favorite employee uh, who might end up doing something that wasn't smart and 
that has to be addressed, and people have to know it's being addressed fairly, so that folks know that it's a, it, it's it's fair and balanced in the office. Yeah, you know, and it's funny sometimes. It's uh, you're, we're hardest on those that that disappoint us the most, right? And and so I know that in my own leadership experience that sometimes the people who I had the strongest relationships with and, and who I you know, admired the most as, as you know people who, on my team that, that really had the greatest potential and the greatest you know, performers, if they let me down, I, I often found myself being more um, hard on them than I would have been on somebody else. And I, I don't, I'm not sure that's fair, and I'm not sure it's right, but it, it was it's part of human nature that you know we have to do in our desire to be fair sometimes we we oversteer where we're uh, with the people who matter most to us you know I, I I have found myself in that same position so i I can attest that it is a very very tough thing I am tougher on those who I, I think are my 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 better players for yeah you know. absolutely. You know, because you know that they understand you and they know what your expectations are in, in regards to that. And so when they don't come through, um, it is very disappointing. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes. And um, what is one of your favorite quotes about leadership that you like to share with the with our audience? So, you know, I, 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 I really love, there's a lot of great quotes out there. One of my favorite quotes about Life and leadership, you know, it's, it's an anonymous quote. My father uh, used to say it all the time, and, and it, it stuck with me. And he used to tell me, for every complex problem, there's a simple answer, and it's usually wrong. And the reason I use that around leadership is that, um, you know, in my book, I talk about the leadership paradox. Leadership, in many ways, is very simple. It, it is, you know, it, it's straightforward. It's about being aware of the choices that are available to us and making the choices. It's about being aware of who we are and then and living in alignment with who we are. So it's very simple to lead well, but it's also, you know, hugely complex. And so those people who who take it too lightly, who don't invest enough in leadership, often are the ones who get themselves in, in the greatest uh, trouble. They they just they think it's easy, and therefore they 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 try and they don't put the energy into it they need to. And I was victim of that many times myself. And so I, I think uh, that that quote really resonates with me. There's another good one that I, that I love around leadership that um, is pretty provocative. And, uh, and I was at a class at uh, Darden uh, at the University of Virginia a few years ago. And um, the, the instructor said... And I don't know where they got the quote, but it was a husband and wife team, uh, Jack and, and Carol Weber, were teaching this leadership program out there. And they said, leadership is the ability to get others to do what they would otherwise think was inappropriate or impossible. And, and I'm misquoting it. It's, it's a, I'm just reading mm-hmm. this, you know, reeling this off out of my head because it stuck with me. And it, and it really... It was. It's provocative because you think, wait a minute, you're getting somebody to do something that they would otherwise think was inappropriate. Is that right or is it wrong? And 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 their point was, leadership isn't about right or wrong necessarily. It is about getting people to act. And you know, there is no goodness or badness of leadership. You know, there, there are a lot of evil people who have been very effective leaders. Um, and. 
our ability to get somebody to do something that they would otherwise think was impossible or inappropriate kind of epitomizes that ability to, to, to drive change. And uh, if we're driving change for good, then getting people to see that what they otherwise, you know, again, going back to Dr. King, there are a lot of people in the country who saw the civil rights movement as being, you know, there, there was nothing inappropriate about the way uh, African Americans were treated in this country, according to many you know, people of the, uh, in the country back in the 50s and 60s. Dr. King got people to think differently about that. Mm-hmm. He got mm-hmm. them to change their view about what was appropriate versus inappropriate. Right. And, and so that's, uh, you know, the first time I heard that quote, it bothered me. The more I thought about it and the more I've come to think about leadership and study leadership, the more I love it. I think it's just a, an amazingly powerful uh, concept. It, you know, it, really, it truly is. I'm, I've, I have not heard that before, but I'm happy that you share that because it really makes you want to look at things differently because what you think is appropriate might be inappropriate. So, right. when, so yeah. as a leader, you want somebody to change what they think is appropriate behavior, but you see it as inappropriate behavior. Wow, what what a paradox! Exactly. Yes, yes. Um, you know, we have a, a few minutes left uh, for this program, and I want to make sure that folks know how to reach you and contact you. If you could, could you share w- with the our audience your your website that you have? Sure, it's www.ifyouwillead.com. Uh, um, and uh, just like it sounds, I-F-Y-O-U-W-I-L-L-L-E-A-D. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful. And let's talk about your practice. What are some of the type of assignments uh, that you take on as as a uh, executive coach or leadership coach? Um, as a leadership and executive coach, my, most of the work I do is one-on-one. Uh, I work with individual executives who are trying to become better leaders, and it sounds simplistic, but, but that's what we do. And, and it's, a, it's a lot of one-on-one self-discovery, trying to figure out okay, what's getting in their way, what's holding them back, and you know, what, can, what can they do to overcome those obstacles. And I do some consulting, and even when I'm coaching, I, I step in, I, I take my coaching hat off and, and, and put on a consulting hat and, and give advice at times. But part of the part of what I love about coaching, both as a coach now and as a client of coaching in the past, is that coaching is built on the premise that that the client has all the answers themselves. My job as a coach is just to ask. Their- so, Doug, you were saying that the individuals have the answers within themselves. Yeah, that's you know, it's one of the fundamental uh, premises of. Uh, of coaching, one of the you know the Georgetown program in particular focuses on that. That uh, it's not about fixing somebody who's broken. It's not about uh, telling people the answers. It's about taking somebody from a position that that we are all whole and and very capable and, and able to solve our problems. And the coach is there to help pull it out, help ask the questions that that allow somebody to discover what's holding them back. And you know, as we started the conversation, when I was working with a coach a woman by the name of Wendy Swire, who is probably one of the best coaches I've ever met and worked with. Um, she helped me see that what, what I really was about, what I really needed to be doing was write this, writing this book and moving into this uh, field of uh, leadership coaching. 
she never once said, Doug, you should be doing this. Uh, it was through question and answer, through probing, through exploring what really mattered to me and helping me see where there was alignment in my life and where there was misalignment by just asking those hard questions and not letting me off the hook. Um, she helped me discover that this is what I was called to do. And, and that's what I love about coaching, and that's why I do it. It's, what I, uh, it's, a, it's a real calling, as I said, um, because it, it gives me the opportunity to, to play that kind of role in people's lives. Well, you know, Doug, we are out of time, and I know the audience is saying, wait a minute, where's the, where, where's the, the, the story about the rest of the book? Well, you're going to come back with us next week, correct? Absolutely. Can't oh, wait. Great, great. So we are here with Mr. Doug Moran, founder of If You Will Lead, LLC, and he is the author of the book, If You Will Lead, Enduring Wisdom for 21st Century Leaders. Doug, thank you for your time today, and we're looking forward to having you back on the program next week. It's been a pleasure, Darrell. Thanks for having me. This is Darrell Gunter, your host of Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM, Seton Hall University. Remember, leadership begins with you. Have a great day.